Rep Round has come and gone, and we have plenty to talk about. I'm Michael Carboni, and this is episode 28 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. Ladies and gentlemen, well, my guest host this week is one half of Mascot Browns, and he's probably the most passionate international rugby league man you will come across. Uh, Phil Brown, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, mate. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Mate, when it, when um, this, obviously, we've, we've been looking forward to this weekend, the rep round, all the international games that are on, and I just thought I need to get, I need to get Phil Brown on this episode, because if there's anyone that knows more about rugby league than I do in Sydney anyway, international rugby league that is, then it's then it's Phil Brown. So, mate, just for anyone that doesn't know who you are, any of our listeners out there who aren't sure, um, can you just give us your quick sort of Marvel comic book character origin story? Tell us who you are, where you're from, what you've done in the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, born and raised on the Northern Beaches. Uh, play all my junior rugby league over there. Um, I, I was the founder of the Australian Fijian Rugby League organisation and basically the reason for that, um, so I, I founded that organisation when I was in my early 20s and I just played with and against some outstanding Fijian players that were never picked um, in the Fijian national team. So back back in those days, all the, all the, um, the players that would get picked for Fiji were from Fiji playing in the domestic league and um, you might have one or two NRL players. Um, there was like your wise Kativaradas and, and those type of players, Eparama Navalis. Um, but you'd have a lot of players that were floating around like Premier League, or it was called Premier League back then, New South Wales Cup equivalent. Yeah. Um, yeah. That yeah. would, Because they're out of sight, out of mind, they'd never get picked. So I started this organisation to, to try and um, give these guys a platform. Like back then it was called the Jim Beam Cup, and there was a lot of Fijians running around that were really good players, and they were just missing out on any exposure. So so that was my sort of first dabble into International Rugby League. Um, so I, I, I went over to England when I was 28, um, was associated um, as a player and an um, employee of the London Scholars. Uh, I set up uh, Oztag in the UK, uh, spent uh, just under 10 years over there, and I've just recently returned to Sydney um christmas last year so i'm sort of five months back in five to six months back in and uh that was my uh quick um snapshot so sorry if i uh overran there mike no that's crazy man and you've you've done so many little things that people wouldn't even realize like you were telling me earlier that you've you've actually played a game for fiji that you've that you've refereed all sorts of international matches uh, i just yeah it's just a pleasure having you on man and, and i think this year you've set yourself a task so you've moved back to australia you set yourself a task to to what to go and watch how many games live. So I hadn't been to an NRL game in ten years because I've obviously been over in the UK. Um, so for all those rugby league fans, I didn't neglect the game. I made sure I went to a lot of Super League games and a lot of London Broncos games while I was over there. But um, I hadn't been to an NRL game in ten years, so I set myself a goal this year to get to thirty NRL games, and I'm currently on eighteen. 
that's pretty good, man. I've been to one NRL game this year, so you're killing it. <laughs> you're killing <laughs> it. But I'm more of the. I'm, I, I must confess, like I'm more of a sit at home, watch it on TV kind of guy at the moment. It's just too cold, and the kids are crazy. So I'm just sort of like, yeah, it's 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 such a good TV sport. But mate, good on you for getting out there. I think every week you miss, you're on Facebook saying, right, who's coming to who's coming to a game this weekend, and you're certainly trumpeting um, the the rugby league horn this weekend with all the games that were on. Uh, for rep round. So I'm going to go through those scores. Actually, before I do quickly, so you've, you've spent time here and you spent time in the UK. Who are your sides, uh, NRL and Super League? Just let us know. Yeah, for sure. So um, so in the NRL, uh, obviously growing up in, in the, on the Northern Beaches, the Manly Seagulls were my team. Boo. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my oldest brother, uh, you either love him or you hate him. Um, yeah. So my oldest brother, he was... Um, he was captain of the um, – well, this was showing my age. It used to be called the President's Cup, and it was under 20, 21, I think it was. Um, so he was captain of that team, and that sort of as a youngster, watching my brother play, um, I thought, you know, how could I how could I not support this club? Yeah, fair enough. That's fine. Uh, Family comes first. That's fine. <laughs> so, so Manly was my team there. And then I went over to um, the UK, and obviously the international game is my passion. And um, – so I thought I'm in London. So I, I adopted London as my team. Yeah. As soon, as soon as the Toronto Wolfpack were were um, admitted into the league, they became um, you know they were, they were my number one. And I've I've made three trips over to um, to Toronto. I was there for their very first game. Uh, I was there when they played their last home game of the season, their first season when they got promoted. And I was also there for the million pound game when they played the London Broncos last year. Um, unfortunately, losing that one, um, I think it was from memory four points to two or four zero. It was really, it was close. Yeah, that was a uh, close one. And Jared Samet, I, I spoke to him after the game, and he said he was flying back for the Emerging Nations uh, final, and he ended up playing for Malta on the Wednesday after being in Toronto on the, uh, I think it was a Saturday. <laughs> Mate, so, that's incredible. Yeah, terrific. yeah. But uh, they're, they're my teams anyway. So Manly, London Broncos, and uh, Toronto Wolfpack. I can get behind the expansion clubs, but look, I can't get behind Manly. Sorry, man, but you guys, you guys touched up my dragons a couple of weeks ago, so I'm glad I wasn't. I'm glad I was watching that one t- on TV, and I wasn't at at, at Brookie. That's for oh, sure. It was, it was party party in the stands. Uh, that that Brookie, I was I was there in the stands. We don't we don't beat the dragons too often, so we've got to celebrate when we do. <laughs> um, mate, well, everyone can start to understand your your international rugby league pedigree, man. Like you've you a guy that's been to Toronto three times to watch games, a guy that's played for London scholars, a guy that's refereed, who's played for Fiji. Like, man, like, like the more I hear, the more I know that you're the right man for this episode. So let's go through some of the results um, for this week or for the weekend that just happened. It was probably the biggest international rugby league weekend that we've had in a long, long time, probably since the World Cup, I would say. So started on Friday night and you were out at this one. So the Cook Islands, they qualified or they got to the next round of World Cup qualifiers, defeating South Africa 66 to 6. On the same night over at North Sydney Oval, uh, the women's New South Wales side, uh, they they beat the Queensland side 14 to 4 in the women's state of origin. Then on Saturday, we had a host of games. So the Kiwi Ferns, uh, 46 over Fetu Samoa, 8. Uh, the Kiwis over Matema Tonga, 34 to 14 in a cracker. Uh, the Fiji Bulukula, uh, their first match ever. They beat the PNG Orchids 28 to nil. Fiji Bardi, 58 to 14 over the Lebanon Cedars. Toa Samoa, 24 to 6 over the PNG Kumuls. And it was a lot 
yeah, a lot closer than that scoreline suggests. That game was an absolute cracker. Then yeah. on Sunday, over in Italy, so uh, the Serbian women's side played their first ever game. They went down 26-0 against the Italian side. The Jamaican Reggae Warriors upset the USA Hawks in Kingston, Jamaica, 26-24. to And then finally, State of Origin in Perth on Sunday night, New South Wales 38 to six over Queensland, so it's an absolute cracker of a of a of a weekend. Normally, for any of any new listeners, we normally talk three topics uh, on our show, but we're probably going to stretch all of those games across four or so topics, and we'll just bounce back and forth, Phil. And at the end of the show, I'll go through some golden points, so a few other results from around the rugby league world. Man, we've got a shitload to talk about, so so let's get straight into it. <laughs> I'm going to ask you like a, I'll ask you a little bit of a, a warm up question, mate. Favorite war dance from the weekend? Go. Well, I've got to say, <laughs> how how good was it seeing Benji Marshall back in the Kiwis jersey and uh, leading the Harker? Usually it's Isaac Luke or Adam Blair, and uh, seeing Benji out there was uh, yeah, it was like he was very emotional. It was great to see, but uh, I always like the Tongan uh, the Tongan um, version of the Harker. I think that you know that was. That was really good from a fan's perspective. So I've got to say, uh, I'll say Tonga on this one. It was good seeing Tonga up against um, the Kiwis in that Harker, Harker off, we'll call it. I, I normally like the Tonga one as well. And I haven't, with, with the Kiwis, like I normally say, like, since, you remember they used to do the old, I think it's the the All Blacks Harker, the, is it called the Komate, where they like the, the knee slapping Harker. So that used to be like incredible, and since they stopped doing that, I thought it's been, you know, it's it's a little bit of not. I won't say a letdown, like it's still awesome, but hasn't been as good. But I've got to say, the Kiwis on Saturday, man, led by Benji, like that was my favourite. Like the passion, they were there to play. Like all this talk about about Tonga, and and the the pride in that jersey. Like the Kiwis just said, you know what, we've got pride in our jersey too, and that leads me into topic number one. So I'm, we're going to start off talking. Oceania Cup, and we're talking in particular about the New Zealand versus Tonga game. There's no doubt that the passion is back in that in that New Zealand jersey. But I guess my first question for you, for you, Phil, is: Have we overrated this Tongan side? Are they as good as we think they are? Well, I think um, the Tongan forward pack has got to be like just like England. I think England and Tonga have two of the best forward packs in, in World Rugby League. Mm. Um, and the thing I, you know, no disrespect to the players playing in these positions, but um, like, like I was when the World Cup final was on uh, Australia versus England last year. Uh, sorry, in 2017, I was in a, I was in a pub in London in Covent Garden, um, with a host. It was just full of England England fans, and it was great. It was you know it was great um, atmosphere, and I just thought the difference between the two sides was Cooper Cronk and his kicking game. Mm. Um, so again, no disrespect to Luke Gale, but I just think that. Um, you know, for England to beat Australia, they just need a stronger spine. And, and that's where that gets me to my point with Tonga. I think they've got the best forward pack in the world. Um, I think this young Fainu, uh, I could be biased here, but, you know, he's, he's the, uh, he comes on for Coruscant for Manly, and I think he's going to be a superstar in the future. So getting him in um, and locking him into Tongan colours would be a very smart move from Tonga. Um, you know, I think he's going to be a world-class hooker. But, um, yeah, I think they're six and seven. Um, Asiata and Lolahia coming up against Benji and Sean Johnson. I think that was a bit of a mismatch. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I just think, yeah, just, just need to, you know, the kicking game was superior by New Zealand. So 
I think Tonga is a very, very strong team, but um, yeah, just needs some good halves coming through. And that Hinganu who played for, who signed with the Raiders, I think he was injured. But um, so there is some some up and coming Tongan halves, um, you know, in the lower leagues. Hopefully that can can push through and uh, take these spots. I agree with you, man. Like they seem to be half a spine short of really being T one level. And I know, like, no, no offense to Asiata and Lolahia, but that like they don't really play halves for their club sides during the week. Anyway, Lolahia I think was meant to be playing five eight for for Leeds, but I don't think he has been. So that when when your half and five eight aren't really doing that week to week, it it becomes difficult. It reminds me a little bit of when Will Younger and um and the Kiwis they relied very heavily on Stacey Jones, but that's pretty much all they all they really had. And he was pr- he's probably the best Kiwi player of all time, but he needed. It's not like nowadays where you've got Sean Johnson and Benji Marshall, and if you don't have them, you've got Kieran Foran and 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 um at Cody Nikarima as well. So they, the Kiwis have some depth in those positions now. Roger Tuivasa-Shek out the back as well. Uh, Isaac Luke at, at hooker, or, or now Brandon Smith at hooker as well, who had a cracker of a game. So they've definitely got those positions filled. Um, Tonga just needs to de- develop in those areas. And I, I think if they can, I, I seriously believe they're just a good halfback short of being competitive. And, um, you know, if, if a few things went their way early in that game, it would have been different. But, the Kiwis were impressive, man. Like, and their passion in the jersey um, was incredible. Like Benji crying um, at the like during during the national anthem uh, was crazy, uh, and and really good to see. But he played so well. Sean Johnson played well. Like, who do you think stood out? Like, in your mind, for for the Kiwis? Well, I'm a big fan of um, Jared Warrior Hargraves. I think he he's he's just a every team needs a you know an enforcer, um, you know, and he never takes a backward step. Um, yeah, I thought I thought the halves were great. Um, I, I saw, I noticed they they sent a bit of traffic at uh, Benji Marshall, and he handled it handled it pretty well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I just thought you know the pride the pride that the Kiwis showed that it's it's back you know and they're back in they're back in the um, you know the top two in the world uh, top two teams I reckon. So um, I'd love to see New Zealand take on Australia at the end of the year if if, if it was a you know a possibility. Um, you know, Australia are in a rebuilding phase at the moment with uh, all the uh, the legends retiring, Smith, JT, and Inglis, and so forth. So, you know, a strong New Zealand team could uh, could knock them over. Well, when they do play down in Wollongong, I think it's November. It's going to be a cracker of a game. And do you think this New Zealand team can beat Australia? Oh, you never say never. So, you know. All, when Brad Fittler named uh, seven changes to New South Wales uh, this time last week, everyone thought he was mad. And, um, you know, <laughs> look what they did to Queensland. So, you know, Michael Maguire is a good coach. He knows what he's doing and uh, he's got some got some talent to work with. And as you touched on um, about the depth of the Kiwis, I remember back in the day there was a hooker called Sid Eru that played for the Warriors. This was yeah. like in the 90s. And if he was injured, there was not much else that could replace that hooker. Where, where you look at it now and you've got Smith was fantastic. You've got Isaac Lute. You've got Danny Lee, uh, Lee, Levy at um, Newcastle. You've got Slade Griffin. There's just a, there's just so many um, players now in these key positions for, for the Kiwis. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Yeah, it's going to be great to see. And Australia, you're right, they're rebuilding too. But I think um, by the end of the year, your Tedescos and your Pongas and your Munsters and and your and your cooks, they're going to be dangerous too. So 
it's funny the, the the little window like all those legends have retired so there's a little window for these other sites for your england's and your new zealand's to catch up but it's a very small window because um these next guys for Australia are ready to go. For Tonga, like what what next, man? I think the the most in, the most inspiring thing for me, or the best thing for me out of it coming out of this game, was despite the loss, the Tongan fans still seemed pumped. Like at the end of the game, like they were just going crazy. That last try, they all celebrated. Um, for them, it doesn't seem to matter that they've now lost to Australia and and New Zealand by twenty or so points. Like. Just the fact that they're up there amongst those T1 sides seems to be enough for the fans. But how long do you think that lasts? Or, or you know, can can this last forever? Or, you know, what do Tonga need to do? Well, I, I really take my hat off to players like Tevita, Tevita Pangai Jr. and Andrew Fafita and Jason Taumalolo, who could be could be playing, um, you know, for, for State of Origin or for New Zealand, respectively. And, um, you know, have sacrificed... Um, a superior match payment to, for the passion of the jersey. Um, so as long as players are doing that, I think I think the momentum can keep going. Um, so you know, I don't I don't know whether the next wave will keep doing that. The next you know, in another five ten years time, whether Tongan players will keep doing that. We, hopefully they will. Um, but yeah, I can see the you know I just can see Tonga just being a force to be reckoned with, and um, I'd love to see Tonga play Samoa in Auckland. Um, down the track, uh, I remember that was played in Hamilton at, in the at the 2017 World Cup. It was a full house, but um, Auckland has the largest um, Polynesian population in the world, so there's no doubt that'd be a sellout. That game um, would that be like origin level passion and intensity? Tonga versus Samoa now, like especially with you know players sort of aligning with Samoa and Tonga instead of New Zealand and Australia. It's it's it, it could be crazy, and it could happen next year because. You know, the Kangaroos are going to be touring the UK, so there's going to be a spot open in that Oceania Cup A, and Samoa could be the team that, that gets elevated, of, of course, depending on who wins Oceania Cup B this year. But we could potentially see, like, next year, New Zealand, Tonga, and Samoa um, in, in that Oceania Cup A. So that could be, that could be like, a mini origin. That could be crazy. Like, it, oh. it's crazy oh, to think. <laughs> absolutely, and I think... If New Zealand can play Tonga every year, that could be their equivalent of state of origin for these guys. Um, I was I was just watching um, NRL three hundred and sixty beforehand, and um, they were mentioning that, saying you know that passion rivaled the passion of state of origin. That could be the Kiwis' equivalent. Um, but uh, yeah, just just going just going back to to spines. You look at the Samoan spine. You've got Milford, and um, you know goodness knows if Tuivasa Shek jumps over to Samoa. I mean, for New Zealand's sake, I hope he doesn't. Um, but, I don't uh, think he will. I don't think he will, to be honest. And that's part of that passion because all of a sudden you've got, sure, you've had guys that have switched to Tonga and Samoa, but you've also got the guys that are saying, no, I'm, I'm a Kiwi. I'm sticking with New Zealand. And that's and, and you see you see that happen with like New South Wales and Queensland to a degree as well, like Greg Inglis and guys like that. So it, I think that's just part of part of this spectacle now and and it's and it's one of the reasons why new zealand v tonga or or samoa could be as big a state of origin over there on that side of on that side of the ditch that's for sure let's jump on to topic number two so like i said we've got heaps to talk about so i'm going to try and roll through all of these games but i want to talk about state of origin and i want to talk men's and women's men because both were both were sensational games if you're a new south wales fan 
that's for <laughs> sure. Let's start with the women. And there was, there was a tweet by Willie Mason a couple of days ago um, saying that he believed that the women's game should have been a curtain raiser to the men's game. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, I've got to say I'd probably disagree because, um, you know, if I wasn't at the South Africa Cook Islands game, I would have gone to a women's state of origin. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really wanted to go. Um, but obviously I can't be at two places at the one time. Um, and, and I think it's building to be an event in itself. Um, yeah. and hopefully turns into three games down the track. Um, but yeah, I, I I saw, I think I saw or read that it rated as high as an NRL game, uh, 10,500 North Sydney Oval. And, you know, I live not far from North Sydney Oval and 10,500, for, for those that live in that area, there's no parking as it is. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a full-on stretch on the resources. So hopefully a lot of people came by uh, by a train or... What's what's capacity there? Is it, it's, about, it's about that, isn't it? Like they don't fit much more in, in, at North Sydney Oval these days. Yeah, it was pretty full uh, from from all all reports. Um, I, I think I, I remember I remember going there as a kid when Manly would play North Sydney. Uh, this was back when Jason Taylor and Greg Florimo. Mm. Um, and I think I think one game I went was about eighteen thousand. Couldn't fit another person in, but I think the grounds, you know, it's it's not as big as what it was um, in terms of, you know, there's, there's I think it's been work done to it and so forth so you know correct me if i'm wrong but yeah i think i think it was pretty full on friday but to answer the question um i don't think it should be a standalone uh, sorry i don't think it should be curtain raised i think it should be a standalone game yeah 100 i agree it needs to be its own its own thing its own brand its own product right because the way i look at it um we need to we need to build more revenue into our game in general but especially into the women's game because we want this to turn into a three-game series, um, and we want to we want to expand the women's NRL as well, and we can't do that without money, right? Because these these women need to be paid. They need to. We need to get to a stage where the women are able to quit their day jobs to play rugby league, like the like the men. And if they're playing yep. curtain raises, then they're not going to be able to do that. So we need to find, you know, crowds that come for this game, TV rights that pay for that, TV stations that pay for this game. Um, merchandise that is sold for this game and sponsors that that tip money into this game, and I think that's really important. So I think I think Willie has sort of missed a trick there, thinking it should be a curtain. I understand what he's saying, like having both games on the biggest stage. We're going to see it later this year with the Kiwi Ferns and the Gillaroos and the and the Kangaroos and the Kiwis. So that'll be really cool. But I think in this is instance, Women's Origin, it's its own thing, and it's only going to get bigger and better. We saw the te- the crowd 10k plus. TV viewers were like 1.2 million, which was like just absolutely, absolutely insane. I read somewhere that it was almost, almost double the AFL Women's Grand Final. It certainly was higher than like Swans games in Sydney or Sydney FC games and stuff like that. So really crazy, and it's it's amazing to think what this women's origin could be. What what do you think happens next? Like you mentioned, the three game series potentially happening somewhere down the track obviously it's going to be difficult given that a lot of these women do have um full-time jobs that they can't really take much time off during the year but but what where to next for women's state of origin like do they keep playing this thing at north sydney oval in your opinion well it's uh yeah it's a very good question i mean i i, I read feedback on social media about 
you know, it's, it's going to outgrow North Sydney Oval. Should like, where can we move it to? Um, and people were mentioning Bank West and so forth. Yeah. Um, but but it's just, yeah, they're onto a they're onto a good thing. I mean, no matter what people think about Todd Greenberg, Peter, um, personally, I think they're doing a really good job in mm. what they're trying to achieve is to create more events, like with Magic Weekend and Women's State of Origin, and hopefully, you know, obviously Tonga, New Zealand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and hopefully be able to sell separate packages to to different networks um, and maximise the money coming into the game. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I think. I think is the plan. But um, but yeah, with women's state of origin, I'd love to see it extend to three three games. I'd love to see, you know, it could be exactly like the men's, where, you know, let's say next year North Sydney Oval game two could be at um, on the Sunshine Coast, and game three could be in Melbourne, for example. I'd yeah. love to, I'd love to see it expanded to uh, to the format down the track. You read my mind with Sunshine Coast. I think that'll be a if they want to take it to Queensland next year, that's the perfect place for it. So where the Falcons play, um, they could think about Townsville later on down the track. I think Newcastle would be sensational as well. Like I think they'd really get behind it. And and I know um, the stadium there is a little bit bigger, but I think they'll they'll pack that out for for a Women's Origin game. And hopefully the crowds just keep building. I, I hope I hope we get to a stage where we can play it. At the bigger stadiums as well, because um, they certainly deserve they certainly deserve that. Mate, let's move on to the men's state of origin game. And look, we won't go into too much detail about you know who replaces Cleary and should Latrell come back and all that sort of thing, because every other podcast that um that our listeners listen to this week will probably talk about that to some degree. But the one For thing sure. I do want to ask, the one thing I do want to ask you, so Perth, mate, so r- record crowd for Optus Stadium in in AFL territory. Um, massive TV view, like the biggest TV viewing ratings uh, for Western Australia for a rugby league match ever. Does this mean it's time for a Perth team in the NRL? Well, as a as a fan of um, as an expansionist, I'd, I I think it's a no brainer. I mean, I I had a really good uh, a, a really good friend of mine that I reconnected with. He was a former marketing manager at the Brisbane Broncos. Um, uh, this was probably just after the the late 90s or early 2000s, and, and he mentioned he saw, he saw the financial results of the Adelaide Rams, mm. and he said they pulled in more sponsorship than the Brisbane Broncos. Wow. Uh, so there's one, there's one, one city clubs have so much, so much potential. Uh, I think Perth's a no-brainer uh, when the next TV deal comes around, whether that be a relocated Sydney team that can't, um, you know, that can't keep up financially. That needs to be relocated, or whether it's a new entity. I think probably needs a team. Um, you've got a lot of people from the eastern states that have moved over there. You've got a yeah. lot of uh, English people that have moved there uh, that that have played rugby league in the UK. Um, so it's got a base already. Like we've got, I think I read somewhere that it, there's already four thousand five hundred junior players playing. Um, so it's not like you've got nothing there. Um, so like when Melbourne Storm started, it was just a blank canvas where Perth's already got rugby league um, established. And I heard the cash, cash converters, were who were the, ma- the major sponsor of the Western Reds back in 95, have contributed financially to WA Rugby League ever since. So they've kept... Yeah, kept they've never stopped. Top. They've never stopped. And that, that, that infrastructure is there. And there's also the old, um, the rugby union side, uh, what, are the, what were they called? The Western Force. All that infrastructure is still sort of there as well. And I guess 
yeah, that's waiting to be picked up. A random question for you. So you mentioned like a Sydney club potentially relocating, right? How yeah. how would you feel? Because th- that's that's what everyone says, right? I, for me, like I always say, oh, Perth Sharks, like it makes a lot of sense. But I'm a Dragons fan, so of course I'm going to say that. As yeah. as a man as a Manly fan, like because Manly is one of these clubs that that we hear are, you know, on the brink financially and could potentially be one of these clubs that will have to move one day. I'm not saying they will, but as a Manly fan, do you still support Manly if they're in Perth? Random question, I know, but... Well, well I know personally I would, but I know a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, they, they they probably, they'd be disillusioned. Um, yeah. I'd love to, you know, I don't like to see history, uh, there's, so, well, there's so many, let me rephrase that, um, there's so much history in all these Sydney clubs, and I'd hate to see that um, gone gone by the wayside. But in saying that, um, you know, Cronulla only have such a small catchment area of corporate support, um, you know, and, and as opposed to a big city like Perth, like uh, Adelaide, like Wellington, et cetera, et cetera, where they've got the whole, whole um, you know, whole city to... To back the whole, them. the whole state in some instances too, yeah. So yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'd I'd hate to see relocation myself, but um, yeah, it's it's a tough question. Mate, topic number three, and you mentioned earlier. So I want to talk about World Cup qualifying. So the Cook Islands South Africa game, which you you were at, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bundle in the Jamaica USA game into this topic as well. Because um, yep. obviously USA are going to be playing Cook Islands in November, so it's it's quite it's it's relevant. But mate, you you were down at Ringrose Park Wentworth in Wentworthville on Friday night for the Cook Islands sixty six to six victory over South Africa. Man, what was the atmosphere like? There was like two thousand two and a half thousand people there. What was it like? Yeah, the crowd was uh, they that they announced over the speaker six hundred one, which exceeded my expectation because uh, I, I saw. A lot of promotion for the Pacific Test and uh, obviously for State of Origin and for the New Zealand Tonga game, but I didn't see much mainstream mention of the Cook uh, Island South Africa game. Yeah. Uh, so I, I thought it was a decent crowd. And um, sorry to sorry to plug the uh, mascot Browns, but I was there on mascot Browns duty uh, selling international <laughs> merch. <laughs> um, yeah. Plug and, away, and, mate. That's all good. <laughs> and it was great to see a lot of um, there was a lot of South African fans. Uh, um, you know, and my my partner was helping me in the shop, and she she did some work in Cape Town, so we had a bit of conversation there with um, the South Africans that were coming up, and they were saying, "Oh, you know, it's great to see. We didn't, you know, we didn't know we had a rugby league team." So these are South Africans that have moved to Sydney that have probably um, you know watched the NRL and enjoyed it, and um, you yeah, heard about that their national team were playing and, and came down and um yeah there's a few um people that have uh that we we spoke to that lived in the islands that had come over and um and so forth so yeah it was that was it was really good atmosphere and i think the wentworth phil um club were great hosts and um yeah i, I thought it was really good that's really interesting what you say about the the south africans and stuff that were there that's pretty cool um, the crowd, the crowd was good, man. It was similar to some Super League crowds when you when you actually think about it. I know it seems like a small crowd by our standards, but but I, I wasn't expecting that many people there. I was watching along on YouTube for most of the game as well. So and there was another two K 
also viewers um, on YouTube there as well. Who stood out for you? Was there any interesting talking points from that game? Well, I was just um, I was I was behind the shop most of the game, so I didn't get to see a lot of it. But I heard that uh, Brad Takarangi was was uh, taken off um, after about the thirty minute mark because I think they had already got to twenty eight mil. So I think uh, maybe Parramatta scouts or sorry Parramatta <laughs> staff are down there saying, "All right, is that enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys, you've got the you, you pretty much got the win. Let's take him off." But um. And it was also, it was good to see there was a few Parramatta jerseys down there. So people that had uh, that obviously heard that there was three Parramatta players that were playing for the Cook Islands. It was Niukora, um, Takarangi and uh, Maroa. So it was good to see some Parramatta fans that was, went went down to watch because obviously Wentworth Field is in the Parramatta region. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I didn't get to see a lot of the game, to be honest. But, um yeah, we, we got chatting. There was, a, there was a South African guy that came over to the store and his son was playing in the game. He, he's, yeah. They'd, they'd migrated to Perth. So his son, born and raised in South Africa, um, you know, lived in Perth for about six years or so. And he, it was an interesting story because he said his son had represented Australia, been in Australia six years, represented Australia in two or three different sports. Apparently he's like a, a schoolboy sprinter or something. So I thought, gee, that's a... An interesting, um, you know, he must he must be pretty pretty uh, talented kid. Um, so he's playing for South Africa. So it's good to see, um, yeah. Like like I got to meet I got to meet some South African officials after the game as well that had come over from South Africa, and I was asking them about what what it's like over there. And they said obviously they have uh, it's quite hard with rugby union being so strong um, yeah. and what they're up against. Uh, but he said they've got 13, 13 teams playing now. So, you know, I, I don't read much about – I don't hear much about how the domestic scene's going, but 13 teams, it's a, it's a good basis to, to build on anyway. That's that's good to hear because you don't hear a lot about South Africa at all. Um, in, in fact, both of these nations, like, I think I've, I've – as excited as we were for this game, they probably cop a lot of flack because South Africa, for all the potential that they have thanks to their rugby union side – um, they really haven't been able to do much. And it's, again, thanks to their rugby union side, they haven't been able to grow in terms of rugby league. The Cook Islands, you keep hearing, like, they don't really have much going on domestically. So they're, they're you know, a lot of their players are, are from Australia and, and so on. So it's kind of interesting to to hear about the struggles from, from those South African guys. And I, I read a, just an interesting tweet from um, Robert Bergen the other day as well. And he said, like, and he mentioned that as well. He said, a lot of people bag out like the, the point of these games. And he read that, or he, he heard on the grapevine that an NRL club was looking closely at a junior South African rugby union prodigy to bring him over to the NRL. And I thought, Hmm, like, is this the way, is the NRL brand the way we grow the game in areas like South Africa? where rugby union aren't really letting the game grow at all, which is fine. That's that's their prerogative. Like, they see rugby league as a threat over there. But if all of a sudden some of these young South African talents are coming over to test themselves in the greatest rugby competition in the world, which is the NRL, you know, there's money there, there's there's exposure there, all of a sudden we could see some, we could see more South Africans follow. And especially if we get a team up in Perth, then all of a sudden it's that's close to, to South Africa as well. So there's more of a landing pad for them. Could be an interesting way to, to sort of grow the game in South Africa because, yeah, we, 
we're going to have them over in our competition potentially. Do you have any thoughts on 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 that sort of thing, or how to, how to, how you think you know we can be looking at at using the NRL to grow the game around the world? Two two points I've got there is um, back in the nineties. Remember Noah Andruku at the Raiders? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so him being an absolute superstar for the Raiders pretty much kickstarted rugby league in Fiji. Yeah. Um, to where it is today. Um, and I, I went to, a, I was in Bradford and uh, it was a and a with Brian Noble. I didn't get to ask the question, but I wanted to ask him, um, obviously he's heavily involved with the Wolfpack. And I said, yeah. well, I want to use that as an example saying, you know, we, um, rugby league as a sport sign, um, you know, we get, we got Noah Andruku who was a Fijian sevens player at the time. Um, you know, he, he, he got signed by the Raiders and um, yeah, pretty much kickstarted a sport in that country. Uh, could the Wolfpack do that with a Canadian sevens player, perhaps? But um, but I, I read that when the rest, Western Reds were in the league, they were going to actually enter a team in the South African Rugby League comp and have it as an academy for the best South yeah. African through. So yeah. if Perth do come back into the NRL, which uh, I hope I hope is a reality in the near future, hopefully they can can do that. Um, have an academy in South Africa because they've obviously got the talent. Um, it's just having the the right resources and the right, you know, the right coaches and train um, training methods, etc., to get these players um, into the NRL. Just another reason to include a Perth team because a strong South Africa, like that, that's one nation that I've always thought could grow to a tier two or, or even a tier one level very quickly, just because of their rugby union history. But um, yeah, that, that that's crazy. Let's go back to the Cook Islands, man. So they're going to be playing um, the USA at the end of the year for that for a final spot in that World Cup. Do you, do you think they'll bring out the big guns for that game? And do you think the USA are going to have a chance against the Cook, a strong Cook Islands side? Well, it's going to be um, it's, go, it's going to be interesting because I saw a tweet uh, by Isaac John, who was the next NRL player and played yeah. for Penrith and the Warriors and, and Manly. And he named, like, he must have Cook Island uh, heritage and he named the strongest Cook Island side that he, that he knew of. And, geez, it was, it was really strong. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the USA's sake, uh, like this, we're talking guys like uh, Masters who played for New Zealand, has Cook Island heritage. Um, Charles Nickel Clockstad for the, yeah, for the Raiders. Yeah. So, like, he, he'd be an absolute weapon. Exactly. For the Cook Islands. Well, he that, was actually he was named in, this, in that game, and then I just uh, I think he withdrew on the Wednesday. I think the Raiders the Raiders team doctor uh, ruled him out. But um, yeah, I was actually looking forward to seeing him play. Uh, it would have been one hundred and sixty six to six if he played. I think, yeah. man, and that, and that's probably why they because I, I think I heard him on um on uh, on another podcast. Which one was it? Bloke bloke in a bar, um, right? And and he was saying that he's keen like his goal one of his biggest goals this year is to get the cook islands to the world cup like so he's so keen to play so uh, potentially he could, he could be over there but I, I also read today that it's unlikely that they'll get their strongest side to play the usa that most of these guys so this this side that um isaac john named they'd probably turn up for the world cup but they they wouldn't turn up for the qualifiers if that makes sense so i know it's going to be interesting to see how what side the usa field as well because they've certainly got some some heritage players that, that could turn up as well could be really interesting, but it's, it's, it is a tough one to, to call until we know what the, um, what the two opposing lineups are going to be. USA played Jamaica 
in Kingston. So historic game because it was the first time that these two sides played over in Jamaica. Um, and a lot of people that I spoke to, including myself, predicted that the USA would win. I know Jamaica won the World Cup qualifier last year, but they had a lot of heritage players involved. This time around, Jamaica were purely domestic, like a pure domestic side, and so were the USA. Most of all the players, I believe, came from the USARL. Um, and once again, Jamaica were too strong. It was 26 to 24. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't a live, there was meant to be a live stream of the game, but I think they had some, I heard they had some internet issues. So we didn't get to watch that, but hopefully more and more comes up um, so, sometime this week because it would be great to watch that one. But mate, like Jamaica, like I think they're the best side in the Americas at the moment, whether they're using domestic players or heritage players. Yeah, I mean, I was not expecting that result, um, and and like you said, I think it was it was basically all USA residents versus all Jamaican resident resident players. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was I was really shocked with that result, but uh, that just goes to show that um, the development of the sport in Jamaica is uh, is going from strength to strength, and um, obviously making the World Cup was a big boost for them. And um, yeah, just yeah, it's interesting to see where they'll go. They're obviously. We we know they've got some uh, some great athletes. Uh, mm. you know, never know, Usain Bolt might uh, want to run at the next World Cup. Who knows? <laughs> well, he tried to play A League, didn't he, this year? So maybe maybe <laughs> rugby league's right up his alley. But it's certainly interesting to see what they do next because um, I, I I put up on our socials today and I got quite a bit of discussion happening. But I'd love to see Jamaica playing uh, in the next twelve months or so, playing against um, a either a European side or a Pacific side that is ranked higher than them just to see how they go. So whether it be like Wales over in the UK, a few people mentioned that if they played Ireland in Manchester, they'd get a great crowd because there's plenty of Irish and plenty of Jamaicans um, living in Manchester. So that would be incredible. I mentioned that maybe Jamaica could come over and play, say, Fiji. So say, for example, next year in the in the Oceania Cup, if, if Samoa come up to Group A, for example, or, or Fiji come up to Group A, then there's going to be room for... The, the game this the game that happened this week between Fiji and Lebanon there'll be room for like one of those Oceania B sides to play another team and Jamaica could be perfect for that spot given the opportunity uh, the other one was was Papua New Guinea as well so Romeo Monteef the development officer and, and coach of the Jamaican side he um, jumped onto our our Facebook page and said yeah we'd love like Jamaica would go to Papua New Guinea to play Papua New Guinea he said that would be incredible. Wow. So, so, so I would love to see, I'd love to see that man. Like, imagine next year Papua New Guinea versus Jamaica in in Port Moresby for, as part of this rep round that we just saw. I think that would just be like international rugby league heaven for me. Like, that would be crazy to see. But yeah, really good things happening for Jamaica, and hopefully they can, um, hopefully they can they can get a, a a big scalp on the way to the World Cup and maybe during the World Cup just to make things really interesting. <laughs> Let's move on to topic number four. So there's a lot to cover in this topic, man. So pretty much the rest of Oceania Cup. So all the Pacific Invitationals. Now you were there at Leichhardt Oval as well, and you got to watch all of the games. I'm presuming. Yeah, didn't get to see a lot of the first one, um, yeah. but I, I saw, saw, saw. I was there for all all the games. Yeah, I was. You know, well, I saw a bit of each game, so to speak. Yep. What was the crowd like there? So they had about eight thousand um, at uh, Leichhardt Oval. Is that right? I think the official crowd was 8,408, I think they announced. Um, it definitely was a great atmosphere. Uh, they had plenty plenty of great entertainment in between games. 
um, a lot of cultural um, entertainment. So they had a Lebanese cultural group. Um, yeah. Pacific Island cultural groups. Um, and you would have been proud of um, of Fiji up against Lebanon. They absolutely smacked them. Um, well, yeah, it was it was great to see. Um, like, so obviously, like my father was born in Fiji, so I've obviously uh, a bit biased um, towards Fiji. Um, yeah. So it was really good to see them to see them win. But um, I, I Robbie Farah, what he came out and said um, on on um, NRL three hundred and sixty about the international game. Yeah. Um, like Alex Twal, he was ruled out by the West Tigers doctors because he's, his minutes increased this year. Um, you know, if he was picked for state of origin, which he wasn't far off, would he, would the West Tigers would have, would they have ruled him out? I, so I There's felt absolutely I, no way. Yeah, I felt really sorry for Lebanon. Like you know, no Mitchell Moses, no Alex Twal, no uh, Josh Mance. Would they, would they have made a difference? Those guys. Well, you look at Lebanon at the 2017 World Cup, and they were fantastic. Yeah. They were one try off Betty Tonga. Um, so I think Lebanon are a really strong team in their own right. Yeah. Um, but obviously Fiji have got stronger since that World Cup. Ashton Sims came out on social media saying it's the strongest Fijian society he's ever seen. Wow. Uh, you know, obviously like Viliami Kikau and Vunavalu and um, Ravalawa, all these players coming through. Um you know, it was great to see Fiji win. I obviously, I with international rugby league, I always like to see a contest because um, I like yeah. to see the interest there. Um, so so yeah, with my Fiji hat on, it was great to see such a big win. But international rugby league hat on, I would have liked uh, Lebanon to have all their stars there and see a bit more of a contest. It certainly would have been closer. I think Fiji still would have won comfortably. They've improved out of sight, and they sort of get forgotten about, like because Tonga did so well at the World Cup. And Lebanon too, to an extent, but we forget that Fiji actually got to that semi-final stage again. Um, did like, and I'm going to ask you to like take your Fiji hat off for a second. Are yep. Fiji better than Tonga? Can they beat Tonga right now? Well, I think Fiji have just so much talented uh, talent in the outside back. So you look at um, Sevo uh, uh, from Parramatta, Ravalawa mm. from Dragons, Vunavalu. Um, always had such um, talented outside backs. Uh, I think in the last three World Cups, and no, again, no disrespect to the players that played in these positions, but we didn't have any NRL standard halves or yeah. like in the spine. Yeah. Um, where now you've got um, Coruscant can play seven or nine. Yeah. Uh, you've got some other players that are on the brink of... Um, well, that weight is it Wakeham? He, he played uh, really well in halves. Yeah, I watched a I watched the Canterbury Cup game um, on TV, and I watched him play for the Bulldogs, and he was really impressive. And um, yeah, I think he he's he's definitely a star of the future. Um, yeah, he, he was really good. So I th- yeah, to answer the question, I think Fiji, you know, are they better than Tonga? Um, I think it'll be a very interesting game. I remember at the time when. Uh, so Tonga had lost to England and Fiji had lost to Australia. And I tweeted um, via the Mascot Browns account, I tweeted saying, wouldn't it be great to see a third-place playoff? Because you see that in, mm, yeah. in a Rugby Union World Cup or in a soccer World Cup, they'll have a third-place playoff. And I think Fiji versus Tonga would have been such a, you know, it would have been a fantastic game. Um, you know, it has its pros and cons. Uh, for a third-place playoff. But I thought at that particular moment, um, Tonga versus Fiji, it, it would have been sensational. And, yeah, so are they better than Tonga? I, I think they'd be very close if, if they, if they if not already better. But if, if 
they're 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 there or thereabouts, um, if you know what I mean. And if they're not, they're certainly going to get better because next year we know Fiji are going to have their side in the Ron Massey Cup, and that's going to be the Canterbury New South Wales Cup in 2021. Uh, Fiji are hosting the PMs 13 at the end of the year as well. Like Fiji are definitely improving. And, and Fiji, the resident side, uh, recently beat the Tongan resident side three games to zip. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential there. I think your idea of like a third place playoff in that World Cup was a good one. And we might actually, again, we might see it next year because as, as we said, kangaroos are going to be touring the UK. So the winner out of Fiji, Samoa, Papua New Guinea and this Oceania B, they're going to be up in Oceania A. So it could be New Zealand, Tonga and Fiji um, to, in, in that in that Oceania A tournament next year. So wouldn't that be incredible? And it's great that there's so much that, that, the, that the, the, it's, a, it's a hard question. Like I've got no idea. Who, who's going to win this tournament out of Fiji, Samoa, Papua New Guinea? And that Samoa-PNG game was probably the game of the round of the international games anyway. Obviously, Origin was a cracker, but that Samoa-Papua New Guinea game, like, that was crazy. Like, and, and I know it was 24-6 to 6 in favour of Samoa, but that that was that game should have been a lot closer. Like, the, the PNG side, they, they, they played really well, man, and I was really impressed in particular... Some of their guys like um, Eda, uh, Eden Gabe, the fullback, Terry Wappi, the, the winger, and Edwin Apapi, the, the 5'8", he was incredible. And it just makes me think like some, like the, the, the NRL needs to be scouting some of these Papua New Guinea, Papua New Guinea guys younger. Like they, we're going to be getting, we're going to be getting some scholarships for some of their 14 and 15 year olds, get them here early, develop them through our system system and turn Papua New Guinea into a tier one nation. Oh, absolutely. And one, one thing as well, um, though we, we, without all their UK-based players, so you've got your David Meads, mm. um, there's uh, Welling, Albert Wellington at Leeds Rhinos. Um, so they're only going to get stronger, um, you know, at the end of the year when, with their full-strength team. Um, obviously, Nane McDonald, um, yeah. he's out um, injured. But, yeah, Papua New Guinea just got a wealth of talent and – like you say, and this could apply to all other nations as well. Like I'd love to see um, a strong uh, French team in um, in the international arena. Hundred uh, percent. And if we can get some young kids over at the age of fifteen, sixteen, put them into scholarships. Like, so you couldn't tell me that the top two um, French uh, under sixteen players couldn't make a Harold Matthews team, and the top two. Papua New Guinea under 16 players couldn't make a Harold Matthews team, so to speak, and get them into scholarships. And, um, you know, by the time they're 21, um, you know, NRL players and then and then playing for France and PNG respectively, wouldn't wouldn't that be great? Um, yeah, that would be cool. And I always had this idea that, like, you could have, like, a development, international development player part of your NRL squad outside of the salary cap. And it wouldn't cost that much money, to be honest with you, but it would give the cl- the clubs an incentive to develop these players. But what it also does is it makes the international game stronger, which is going to boost more, put more revenue into the NRL at the end of the day as well and rugby league in general. But it's also going to give us, because we always have this question like, can we expand to 18 teams? Is there enough talent for an extra two teams? Well, there is enough talent, especially if we start looking into some, some into Papua New Guinea, France. We mentioned South Africa. We know Fiji's got talent ready to go. Jamaica maybe even, you know. So there's there's certainly talent there if we're prepared to look for it and develop it. And um, 
could really be anything, man. Uh, wh- what do you think happens next for Samoa and Papua New Guinea? Like, to, you know, could the Tongan effect work for Samoa? Could Papua New Guinea really turn into a T1 nation? Like, like, what do you think happens next for sides for nations like that? Well, I mean, we just we, we they need to be playing regularly. Uh, so we need we need a like the thing the thing I envy on rugby union is I I know three years down the track where the where the games are like in rugby yeah. league we don't like I went to Denver last year and three months out I didn't know if it was going to be going ahead um, yeah so I think we need to we need to have a proper international structure so these teams can can prepare uh, and plan accordingly um, someone joked on social media saying you guys must be you must find it hard keeping up with like a team like Tonga, for example, who have gone through three different kit um, supplies in the last three years. <laughs> and, 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 you know, with these guys, it's not their fault because they don't know when their next game is half the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they can't go to an ISC and say, let's lock in a three year deal. We'll guarantee you six games. We're going to play against New Zealand three times. They can't do these type of deals. So um, yeah, where to next is, I'd love to see a you know a proper international schedule, um, you know like so when I was living in London, the Six Nation Six Nations rugby union had just finished and the the fixtures were already out for the for the year after. Yeah, um, I'd love to see that in rugby league. Um, yeah, because I knew I like with that Denver game last year, it was fantastic being a part of that. It was like nineteen thousand. I was sitting with um, just some. So random you were there people. as well. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Went to Denver and um, I just wanted to experience Mile High Stadium, um, you know, rugby league at Mile High Stadium. And it was fantastic. And there was American accents everywhere and they were loving it. And uh, a lot of English rugby league friends of mine that they said they would have gone, but like three months out, it was sort of 50-50 whether it was on. So they didn't want to book tickets and accommodation and things like that. So so I'd love to see more games for your, your Papua New Guineas, your Tongas, your Samoas, and, and just build on that. And I'd also, I remember, I think it was two or three years ago, there was a, a game in in Apia. It was Samoa versus Fiji. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to see more games. I know Papua New Guinea have got a world class facility. Um, I've, I've, I was I was working with the USA Hawks at the 2017 World Cup, so I was actually fortunate enough to to go to Port. Uh, was fortunate enough to experience. Port Moresby, their stadium there, USA played Papua New Guinea there. And, um, you know, they've obviously got the Hunters playing there regularly. And, um, you know, I'd love to see more more matches on domestic soil. So it's good. It was, it's a step in the right direction with uh, the PM13 going to Fiji. And, but I'd love to see Tonga to host a match and, and Samoa to hosting matches as well down the track. You worked for the USA side as well. You keep dropping these little international CV nuggets. Like, it's incredible, man. It's, it's crazy. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's good that what you said about um, about the English players or the English uh, fans, you know, they would have went to Denver if they had more time. The same thing's happened again with this Great, Great Britain Lions tour. If You know, they might get 1,500, you know, Brits over here or in New Zealand, sorry, to, to watch those games. But if they had like 12 months or more to prepare for this, they could have got 15,000 people over here. Like it could have been crazy. And I know now, so that I hear what you're saying. Like I know now that we do have more of a schedule in place. So we know Oceania Cups next year, it's going to be every two years. We do know when the World Cups are happening. We know all of this stuff as well. But just locking it in and saying, okay, this is where, this is when, this is who, 
Um, and, and your point as well, like, about getting these nations playing in front of their home crowds, I think that's really important. Like, I want to see... I don't want to see Papua New Guinea and Samoa playing at Leichhardt Oval. I want to see them playing at Port Moresby. And I want to see Fiji playing Lebanon or Fiji playing Jamaica next year or something like that over in Suva. Because, I, like, I think that's really the next step. we really got to give these these sides back to their nations and really start to to grow the game domestically in each of those nations as well. I think it's really important, man. But I think, man, we've what, what an incredible weekend to be an international rugby league fan. It's been absolutely crazy. Um, the only other thing I want to mention as well is like the women's the women's uh, Pacific teams that that played over the weekend as well. So we saw the Kiwi Ferns, Fedu Samoa. We saw the Fijian side and the Papua New Guinea side as well. I think it might be time for a Pacific women's Oceania Cup as well, an Oceania Women's Cup as well. So I know same, it's the same as like the origin story. Like, can we get, um, can these women take enough time off their day jobs to to play in in a tournament? But I just think we've we've got some really strong women's sides there now as well, and it would be incredible to see like that Kiwi Ferns Fair to Samoa match. I know it was a blowout score. But some of the hits, man, that, that, that they put on each other was absolutely crazy and really good to see, man. But but what an incredible week of International Rugby League. Is there anything I've missed? Is there anything else you want to talk about before we jump into some golden points? Or what do you reckon? Well, I just, um, yeah, just on that, um, on the Women's Rugby League, uh, going back to the 2017 World Cup, I watched Canada play and, gee, they were fantastic. And, um they sort of went quiet for a bit and I'd always tweeted the Canadian rugby league saying, you know, surely, you know, hopefully you can keep that momentum going and get some women's rugby league off the ground. But the point I'm trying to make here is that women's rugby league is the biggest growth area in the sport at the moment. It's fantastic to see. And, um, you know, just seeing Fiji get off the ground is fantastic and, you know, beating, beating the um, PNG orchids, what a, what a result. So I, I really do hope, um, you know that's big news back in Fiji and kickstarts, yeah. kickstarts more females playing, play, you know, getting clubs off the ground over there. And I I spoke to uh, well where we were sitting on the hill. There was a family of one of the Fijian players, and she came over after the game and sat with her family. And she was saying that a lot of them had come over from Fiji. So there was obviously some Australian born and raised players of Fijian heritage in the team, but. Um, a lot of them had come over from Fiji, so hopefully they go back and pass on their knowledge and experience, and you know, and hopefully keep growing the game. But yeah, women's rugby league's just going from strength to strength at the moment. I have a segment called Golden Points, where I sort of go around the world with some quick, uh, quick score lines and news from the world of rugby league, mate. I want to ask you before we do that to give Mascord Browns a bit of a plug. Um, you've told me before that. Your biggest sellers are the Toronto Wolfpack jerseys and the Tongan jerseys. But I want to know, like, what's the most like obscure bit of merchandise that you, that yourself and Steve have on on your website uh, available in Australia or around the world? Well, it's probably got it's probably got to be Albania rugby league, I'd say. <laughs> How cool is that jersey? But that's an awesome jersey, man. If anyone hasn't seen it, like, look it up. It's really cool. Did 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 many people buy that one, or is is it um, is it one of your better sellers or? It's 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 not one of the better sellers, but it has there has been um, a bit of interest. I just um, actually today uh, we had an order for an Albania training shirt, extra large, and 
he said, I really need it, um, you know, in two days' time it's a, for a birthday present. And uh, So, yeah, there is there is interest, but um, <laughs> it's not, it wouldn't be as strong as uh, like a Papua New Guinea or a Tonga or a Fiji uh, item. But, uh, yeah, it's probably our most obscure at the moment. How many, like, how many like items do you have like from or how many countries i should should i say like how broad does does the website go man so when when we first started what we wanted to do was uh bring in a new nation every month so we started with usa and second one was papua new guinea and and um and now as we're getting more established once we we're just replenishing with the new stock so uh, for example, Papua New Guinea, um, all our, our World Cup stocks are gone. So then we had Pacific Test stock from last year. Now that's nearly gone. And then we'll have the PNG Pacific Test stock from this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we're just getting more and more stock in, in all the time. And Steve's big on his programs. So whenever yeah. we can get programs, like we've got uh, – well, actually, Steve did the Denver Test program. So we sell sell those programs um, at our stores. Um Oh, he designed it, did he? Yeah, so he wrote all the content for that. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. World Club Challenge, like the like, um, had a few inquiries about that over the weekend at the store. Like we, uh, you know, the Wigan Roosters uh, World Club Challenge program. Um, New York um, was one of our latest arrivals. So obviously, uh, with That's the cool. news, yeah, with the news that they're going to be. Uh, Entering the British uh, game in uh, 2021, I think it. I think they confirmed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got New York shirts, New York hats. So, so basically, it's a it's an expansionist, uh, um, you know, dream. Uh, what we what we all you know, as as an expansionist myself, um, you know, if this was something that um, that I wasn't involved in, I'd be very interested in the products put it that way <laughs> you'd be your biggest um customer probably i'd say yeah exactly. <laughs> and that's probably one of my one of my things is uh like we got south africa in and i bought a training set myself we got, a, we got the cook islands in i bought a jersey so i'm buying all, yeah. I'm buying all the stock uh, uh as well so uh, spending know, all the profits it's fantastic <laughs> I, I wanted to say yeah big thank you to yourself and steve so obviously um, any listeners out there can use the uh, discount code Kangaroo Court. It's Kangaroo C A U G H T for ten percent off at mascotbrowns.com and mascotbrowns.com.au. And just a big thank you to yourself and Steve for offering that to our listeners. Like, uh, hopefully, a few of them has bu- have bought some stock from you guys. And yeah, we just thank you for keeping that going yeah. and, and and offering it. Yeah, no, um, they they certainly have, and. Um... I think there's some listeners in New Zealand because uh, there was some. Um, we've sent some um, items over New Zealand that, that have uh, they've applied the discount code. So, um, yeah, no, thank you for for putting the word out there for us as well. Let's get into some golden points. So, what I might do, I've got about ten golden points from around the world of rugby league. What I might do is ask you if um, if any mascot brown stuff is available from these parts of the world as we go through, that might be a little bit of fun. So let's start yeah. with Golden Point, mate. Balkan Super League. Do you know much about the Balkan Super League? You well, following that at all? I I I don't know a lot about it. I mean, I do I do follow it on social media. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of um, Red Star Belgrade. Uh, we, we we do stock some Red Star items, but um, I just I've just um, touched base with Colin, who's Colin Quellig, who's um, Clayweg, yeah. Yeah, he's been uh, driving force of, of Red Star, and you know, such a lovely guy. And 
Um, but I don't I don't know a lot about it um, to be honest. But um, I just I followed it when Monty Gaddis was playing for Red Star, and I'd watch yeah. his interviews and so forth. So um, yeah, hopefully it's going from strength to strength. Definitely growing over there. So in in results over the weekend, so Red Star Belgrade, your team there. They beat the Lignano Sharks from Italy 30-22. to 22. And it's actually the closest game. So Red Star usually win games by like 70 or 80 points, you know. So that, it was a close one against the Italian side over in, in Lignano. And the reason for that, I actually spoke to Colin a little bit about this game as well. Um, a lot of the – so the Serbian uh, national squad members were in – they're in camp for a Yorkshire Lionhearts match in the UK in about a week and a half. So for Red Star, it was a really good opportunity to blood some of their younger players and it actually turned it into a really interesting contest. So 30-22, to 22, Red Star winning that one against Lignano. Also in the first division for the Balkan Super League, so Partizan, so Bel- they're from Belgrade as well, 104-4 to four over Lokomotiv Sofia, which I think is in Al- the Albanian side. Um, massive win there. So, But what it does basically mean is, so we're now it's now semi-final time for the Balkan Super League, and the four teams in the finals are Red Star from Serbia, Partizan, is a part, oh, is a partisan? It may not be partisan, but it is another Serbian side. The Katakoi Bulls from Turkey and the RS Eagles from Greece. So we're going to have two Serbian sides, a Turkish side and a Greek side in the finals for the Balkan Super League, which is just crazy to think. And, and I'm sure as an expansionist man, you're really happy to hear that. Oh, um, how, how good is that? Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> mate, golden, golden points over to the championship. So you know about this one for sure, being a Toronto Wolfpack fan. But they they beat Toulouse Olympique 28 to 16. It's the third time that they got, these guys have um, have played each other this year. Toronto have won two, Toulouse have won one, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be the grand final this year. Have you been following that that closely? Well, I've got to say, uh, Mike, I went to Toulouse last April, and yeah. I watched Toulouse versus Toronto, and I've got to say, full full credit to Toulouse. They have one of the best match day experience. I mean, Toronto have a fantastic match day experience, but Toulouse as well, um, they had a band going all game, and... Um, yeah, it was it was fantastic in the south of France. There. So for all the the um, rugby league internationalists out there, if you can get to a Toulouse game, uh, put that on your bucket list. It's a it's a fantastic experience. It's definitely on the bucket list, man. And we keep hearing about these awesome match day experiences. I wish I wish someone could bring some of that sort of stuff over to the NRL, man, because it's it gets a little bit flat at NRL games. I must say sometimes, and you you're probably experiencing that yourself, being like you're probably used to watching Super League games. And how have you found the difference, actually? Like, the crowds are a little bit quieter over here, I presume. Yeah, I mean, the English fans, they're very passionate and, you know, they're chanting and they it, it's really good to, to um, you know, to get to a game and experience that. But what Toronto have done, um, it's it's like a party festival atmosphere. So um, it's it's such good value for money. So you go there, you watch the game, but... After the game, they've got a DJ going for two hours. They've got um, craft beer stores set up. Um, it's just like it turns into a party. It, it's 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 just amazing, um, you know. So it's not like in if you, if I went to watch the Dragons at um, at uh, Cogra, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, full time. Everyone's out the gates. Like they they're just they're still having a great time. Yeah. DJs playing music. People are dancing and mingling and. Yeah, I mean, like it's something like the Newtown Food and Beer Festival, I'd imagine. Okay. So I'm going to my first one in uh, next next month, but um, I believe that you know there's food stores, pop up uh, beer, you know, craft beer stores, and music, and 
Um, they make it a real, real event. So that's something that we can learn from these overseas teams in the NRL um, to create a better match day, you know, match day environment. Certainly needs some improvement, man. Uh, golden points over to France. So Elite One, man, they had semi-finals over the weekend. Um, so Carcassonne defeated the Limo Grizzlies 20 to 16, and they'll be going to the grand final this year, uh, next week actually. And then Saint Stevie Catalan, so the um, so the Catalan Dragons reserve side, they defeat defeated Lezignan 38 to 18. So it's going to be Carcassonne and Catalan in the grand final for Elite One, and they're the same sides that played in the Coupe de, de France. Uh, finals a couple of weeks ago. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, at Golden Point, so Dutch Rugby League, do you guys sell any Dutch merchandise? Well, I was saying to Steve the other day that I'd love to get some Dutch Rugby League uh, jerseys in as one of our next nations. Um, so we've basically got some Fiji kit on order. Uh, we've got PNG and Lebanon gear on its way. Um, and I said I'd love to I'd love to get um, some some Dutch gear in. I just think it looks great, and I love what they're doing domestically. Um, and yeah. We always said we we always said from the get go that we'd love to love you know we want to focus and support the teams that have a lot of domestic activity. So if it was just an expat team, um, we would obviously want to help down the track, but would want to focus on. Um, the nations that have a domestic comp going. Yeah. Uh, so obviously like uh, Holland, I just, yeah, I love what they're doing. So yeah, we, we're, we're in negotiations at the moment. Uh, they do have some internationals coming up. So uh, they, they will, um, yeah, we'll hopefully have some in by the end of the year anyway. That'll be really cool. I love their, the orange Jersey, man. It's so unique and, and in their domestic competition. So round five, uh, Den Haag Knights, defeated the Rotterdam Pitbulls 36 to 22 and the Amsterdam Cobras defeated the Hudderwick Dolphins 50 to 22. So next week's round six is the final round of, of their domestic competition and Den Haag will be playing Amsterdam. Uh, the winner of that game will be the minor premiers. Um, and then two weeks later, they'll play each other again in the grand final. This is the fifth time that the Den Haag Knights have, have made it to the grand final, second uh, in a row, that is. It'll be the second time in a row for the Cobras, who won last year, uh, and they won in golden points. So it's certainly going to be two great matches between these two Dutch domestic clubs. My golden point um, over to Lignano in Italy, and we did mention this at the top of the show, but the Italian women defeated the Serbian women 26-0 to uh, over in Lignano. It was a curtain raiser to that Balkan Super League uh, match between Red Star and Lignano Sharks. It was the first, and I just wanted to mention it again, it was the first match for the Serbian women. Um, incredible, incredible spirit, incredible fight. And uh, speaking of Colin Clayworg early in the week as well, he mentioned that the, 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 the girls and the Red Star guys side as well, they, they travelled 12 hours by bus from Belgrade to Lignano and uh, they slept on the bus got there in the morning, got up, went, to, went for a dip at the beach and then and then played some rugby league. So it, it, I think it would have been even harder, you know, sleeping on a bus the night before a, a massive game. So full credit to both of those sides. Mate, yeah. um, gold, golden point. Uh, so in the UK, men's student home nations, uh, so the university comp uh, or national uh, comp started over the weekend. So I just wanted to mention that. So England defeated Wales 52 to 16. Um, and, and Ireland came back from 18-0 down to defeat Scotland 28-26. So that was really interesting as well. Man, do you guys have any Italian gear on, on your site? Yeah, we, we do. We've got um, Italy training shorts. Uh, we've got some Italy jerseys. And 
yeah, we've got some Italy training shirts as, and vests as well, actually. Yeah, so we we do have a, we do have a little bit, and um, now that I think of it, we we've got some hoodies as well. That's really cool, man. And um, the Italian domestic competition that we've been talking about for a little while finally kicked off over the weekend. So in the Northwest Italian Championship, the Milano Mustangs, they went down to the Ambrosiana Tigers 30-16, to 16, and we're expecting to see more games take place uh, over the next week. So that's going to be really interesting to follow along with. And, uh, you know, my Italian heritage means I'm really excited about that as well, man. So that's really cool. Mate, um, Great Britain Lions, golden point. And this is my final one for the night. And I kind of want to get your opinion on this one, man, since you lived over in the UK for so long, for 10 years. Everything Rugby League, and, and this show is brought to you by everythingrugbyleague.com as well. I'll mention Everything Rugby League reported that Blake Austin has officially thrown his hat uh, into the ring for the Great Britain Lions Tour at the end of the year. So the 28-year-old said that, uh, well, he's eligible via his English grandmother. And he said it's a touchy subject because I don't want to res- disrespect people but I am eligible and I would like to play. And how does that, um, how does that make you feel? You know, an Aussie guy who sort of hasn't been able to crack state of origin over here, potentially walking into the Great Britain Lions side. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one because I know, I remember back when um, there was a player called Michael Withers that was playing at the Bradford Bulls. Yeah, I remember him, yeah. And he controversially got selected and, um, I think this is when David Waite was coaching. This was a while back. Yeah. And uh, he, he ended up, he, he made the squad, but he didn't actually play. Um, and it was, you know, a lot of um, controversy about that. I know, I know in England, a lot of fans have said, I don't mind if we're weaker as long as we're using fair dinkum, homegrown, you know, English players. So they wouldn't say fair dinkum over there. I was going to say, they didn't say fair dinkum. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I think um, you know Wayne Bennett is obviously one of the best in the business, if not the best um, of all time. And I, I just like I touched on earlier, I think England probably lack you know a world class seven. Um, and from all reports as well, Jackson, you know Blake Austin's put his hand up. Jackson Hastings actually has an English parent, I believe. I read somewhere. Yeah, he's a, he's available as well. And I I. I mentioned on social media probably about a year ago, I think it was, that Victor Radley's dad is actually a full-blown Englishman that's migrated over to Sydney. That um, doesn't surprise me. He's, he's a lad, Victor Radley. <laughs> well, so I, I went, um, when I said I went to Brian Noble Q&A, Wayne Bennett came over last, he came to Oddsall Stadium and Steve, Steve, my business partner, Steve Mascord, was hosting the event. So I was there doing the, the merch and I, we weren't allowed to put our hand up and ask questions because it was right when the, um, you know, what is it? Was he going to South? Because he was at Brisbane. He was a Brisbane coach. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they probably didn't want us to ask questions that were not supposed to be asked, etc. But they said, put all your questions in a, you know, write your questions down, put it in a box, and we'll we'll read out the, you know, the best questions. <laughs> so I, so I, I put a question going. I said, Victor Radley, he qualifies for England. If um, I think, you know, definitely try and get him in the setup if you can, because otherwise he'll be an Australian kangaroo for many years. And, you know, for the sake of international rugby league, it would be great if he was representing England, you know, being such a fantastic player. Um, but obviously, they, you know, England have a wealth of um, talented forwards. It's really their spine that I think needs, needs uh, you know, a bit of injection and, yeah, Jackson Hastings has been having a great season, so maybe he could be picked at seven. 
um, if England win, uh, if Great Britain Lions win, will these fans that are, you know, said they don't mind being weaker if they use, uh, you know, born and raised players, you know, will they change their tune? I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, but, you know, it's happened in other sports. Like I know in, you know, even in soccer, the the, the Welsh and Irish team have English players of, of that heritage. Like they were born and yeah. raised. England, but they might have had an Irish parent and so forth. So it happens yeah. in a lot of sports. So, you know, if it's if that's what um, you know, if they're eligible, they're eligible. It's just up to the coach at the end of the day, um, to you know, to pick his best team, I suppose. But uh yeah, it's an interesting one. I I'm I'm gonna have to sit on the fence again on that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I like it makes me feel funny like to see Austin and Hastings there potentially. And and the thing for me is like they never really Made, not they never really made it over here in the NRL. Like Austin had a really good season. There was a, there was a year where we all thought he might have made the the New South Wales Origin side. Jackson Hastings, on the other hand, like didn't really get much of an opportunity in the NRL, and that could be when he was at Manly. I know there was some issues there that we probably won't go into, but it would be strange to think that these guys could go over there. I know they're playing well in the Super League, but I feel a little bit uncomfortable about them walking into this Great Britain side. But then on the other side, like I'm, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I don't mind if Lachlan Coote gets picked, and and I'm trying to figure out why I feel okay with Lachlan Coote, and I think it's because he represented Scotland even when he was playing in the NRL. So I kind of think that he has, I don't know, maybe he has more. I don't know what it is. I don't know why he's more entitled in my mind than than say Blake Austin or Jackson Hastings. But I don't know. I think it's going to be very interesting to see who they pick and. I don't know. You've got your George Williams, and you've got guys like um, I think it's Jake Connor who's like doing really well over there. So I don't know. I think they've got halves, but man, it's going to be really interesting to see how they go. But can I can I put this one out there? Uh, this is an interesting one. So yeah. um, so Tyson Frizzell has represented Wales six on six occasions. Yeah, uh, his father's Welsh. Uh, because the Great Britain Lions, they they're not classified as a tier one because they're not a country, right? They're they're a region. I don't know what you'd call them, but if if Tyson Frizzell doesn't get picked for Australia, does that mean he can he's eligible to represent Wales on the Great Britain, you know, as a Welsh player on the GB Lions tour? That is an interesting one, and and I guess he could as well. Um, so there's another one you could throw into the mix. But I reckon, mate, I could be biased, but I reckon Frizzell's a shoe in for the Australian side. He's an absolute weapon, and yeah. um. But seeing him play for Wales all those years ago was pretty cool as well. But, but mate, I, I'm gonna I'll leave it there with you. Like it's been an absolutely fantastic chat, and I'm glad we finally had a chance to actually talk in in person because we've been speaking a fair bit um, on on social media since you've moved back to Australia. Um, we're we're in we're in a Facebook group that talks about games every week. I'm not sure how I became part of that, but I'm I'm there and I'm it's pretty cool. So thank you for 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 adding me to that. But um. Well, but mate, it's um, you certainly have an incredible knowledge for the international rugby league, um, game, a rugby league in general, man. And um, yeah, is there anywhere that before I do say goodbye, is there any way that um, our listeners can can follow follow you, contact you, or anything like that? Is it do you want to give us your social details, or are you happy just to leave it at mascotbrowns.com and mascotbrowns.com.au? Um, no, absolutely. If, if there's anyone that wants to follow me um, on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is just Phil Brown, so it's P H I L L B R O W N E. 
Um, so I work I work for Australian Oztag. So my tweets are usually rugby league, Oztag, um, or a couple of jokes thrown in on the side. <laughs> um, dad jokes, dad jokes. You got to say because they're, yeah. they're, they're good. Plenty, yeah, plenty of dad jokes. But um, yeah, so yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. I really love I really love the podcast and everything that um, that you're doing. Uh, you know, keep up the good work and um, yeah, thank, thanks again.